This is the Tribune Audio Network. I mean, because no story is good without some some honest tragedy, right? Um, while at the Butlery, I met um, what became my fiance. And uh, about a year and a half into that scenario, Robbie was killed in a car accident. So, <laughs> still hard now. Sure. But it's it's part of my story. So Absolutely. It got me here. It's Monday, December 2nd, and we have Allie Hockman from the New Star Hill opening on Saturday in Scott's edition, and Michelle Williams of Richmond Restaurant Group to tell us how she opened a restaurant at 22, and I write a vacation letter to Scott. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat of Virginia. My name is Scott Wise. My friend, my friend, Roby Martin and I would like to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. We hope you had a great time with friends and family and ate all the good foods. Because of the holiday, Roby and I were not able to get together to record this open like we normally do. But as she mentioned in her opening segment, we have two great interviews for you today. First, we have a quick hitter with Allie who is opening Star Hill Brewery in Scott's Edition this week. And then we sit down for a much longer interview with Michelle Williams, who owns and operates many Richmond restaurants as part of the Richmond Restaurant Group. Before we get started on the interviews, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to Eat of Virginia this past year. We've now done more than 20 episodes and have had tens of thousands of people listen. So from Roby Martin and I, a big thanks. Here's Roby's conversation with Allie. What made you guys decide to come to Richmond? So, um, for a while, we'd been looking to kind of um, bring our brand, I guess, into different communities across the state of Virginia. And the first location that we opened was in Roanoke, and that was kind of the trial run. And it's doing very well. We love our, you know, friends and family down in Roanoke. Um, And so now we kind of turned our attention towards Richmond, which is certainly um, one of the state's most mature craft beer markets. And so I think now that we have, you know, one of these locations under our belt, this was kind of us jumping into the big pond and, you know, seeing, seeing what we can do with all of the, uh, all of the folks here that are such big craft beer lovers. So yeah, it was really just to kind of, um, basically to have like a stronger connection to the Richmond beer scene here. So, so Allie Hockman, general manager of the new Star Hill Brewery that's going to be brewing some on-site here in Richmond in Scott's Edition. And you are crossing your fingers that you're going to be open on December the 7th. Yeah, because we've already announced our grand opening. So (laughs) we've got a little bit of time before then, a couple things to wrap up, but I'm confident we can get it done. It looks like, Scott, she brought you some beer. I did. So I've um, brought... Um, we just released um, a, one of our limited 12 packs, which is called the Box of Chocolates. So we take, yeah, so we take our, um, the base beer is a double chocolate stout, and we do different um, variants on it. So Scott's we, already texting people. Did yeah, you hear that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> he, he heard double chocolate stout and immediately texted a friend. <laughs> So I'm a total stout girl, so I love this pack. Um, This year we have the toasted coconut. We've got the um, orange. 
We've got mocha, which was a big favorite from last year, and then the uh, raspberry chocolate, which was also a favorite from last year. So it's almost as she read as if she read your mind. He has a huge sweet tooth. Great, like, this is perfect. All things sweet. So it's almost as if Allie was like, "Scott's my man." She's my new best friend. You see, right. they're all good for you. <laughs> I would like to know if um, Star Hill's going to do music here yes, in Richmond. We are. So um, we are. Uh, we have a, a little stage, nice. just kind of tucked away in the corner. Um, but we are hoping to feature mostly local artists to just kind of give the local scene some support, um, as well as um, you know, just kind of set a nice vibe in the space. Um, we are going to try to bring some bigger bands through once in a while. So, for example, we are uh, going to have No BS Brass Band bringing down the house uh, on Saturday the 7th. So it's going to be pretty crazy. God, that's a big band to have. That's awesome. Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. All right. I think you should taste a beer. And Roll then, it on my sleeves. And we'll let Allie go because she's got so much to do before December the 7th. And what is the time you think that you guys are going to open? 12 to 9 that day. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have music all day. We'll be tapping a bunch of beers, so it'll be good. I love it. Yeah, I love, love, love that you decided to join us today. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're looking forward to checking out Star Hill in Scott's edition this week. I think Roby and Allie are going to come up with a giveaway of some sort, so make sure that you're checking out Eat at Virginia on social media to see the details there. Maybe you can get yourself a free drink or some Star Hill merch. We transition now from one of Richmond's newest places to visit to the woman behind some of Richmond's most established restaurants. Michelle Williams is one of the owners of Richmond Restaurant Group. They own places like the Hard Shell, the Hill Cafe, the Dailies, East Coast and West Coast Provisions. Michelle took a moment out of her busy, busy schedule to sit down with Roby and I earlier and have a pretty in-depth discussion about how she got to where she is today. So we have Michelle Williams here with us today. Michelle, let's see. This, I'm going to guess. I think she owns every restaurant in Richmond, doesn't she? She doesn't own every, but oh. almost every restaurant in Richmond. Um, this is your, and you are young. I want to make sure I put this out there. This is your what, 25th That's kind of relative, don't you think? In, no, it's not. <laughs> this is your 25th year in restaurants? It is my 25th year in owning restaurants. Okay. How long have you worked in a restaurant? Add a decade to that. Seriously? Yeah. Okay, so you essentially... When she was four, I think she started. It, precisely. She, it, precisely. In utero is yeah. when she started. <laughs> so your family was in restaurants? No, no, not at all. So walk me through how you got into this. Yeah, I, uh, my dad was in the banking business. My mom worked for the state. And uh, my dad was friends with Jerry Cable that owns tobacco company and was um, part and parcel, I think, of his banker. And um, somehow or another, I don't know if it was so my parents could go to dinner on Friday and Saturday nights or not, but somehow or another, I ended up working at Tobacco Company when I was a teenager. Wow. Yeah, so still in high school, working at Tobacco Company, kind of learning the front of the house ropes of the restaurant. You were in the front of the house. I was. So lots of leopard chairs. Yes, (laughs) yes. Lots of high heels and dresses and running up and down steps. Oh, gosh, right? Uh Uh-huh. And, um, but I spent a lot of time in the kitchen and I asked a lot of questions of the chef and the chef at tobacco company used to say, you know, you ask a lot of questions, you should go to school for this and kind of convinced me to try this new program that Jay Sargent Reynolds had just started. So their culinary program, I was there for in their first year. You were their first year of their culinary program. That's a cool thing to know. 
So you went to the culinary school. I went to school. I um, continued working at tobacco company. I was still at VCU at art school, and then I decided to start working. I had to do an apprenticeship um, as part of my schooling, and I started to work at the butlery which is, uh, was on in River Road Shopping Center, is now Azuro. It's Azuro. Yeah. I was going to ask if it was Mosaic or Azuro, but Mosaic Both. actually, okay, so it was the, the, the butlery and the butler's pantry, yeah. So I did a, a 6,000 hour apprenticeship there over three years. Whoa. Yeah, and so that was part of my education. Unpaid? Paid, very, 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 <laughs> very little. <laughs> oh. I was like waiting for like the, a lot, paid a lot. Paid a lot. That I didn't like, happen. Ne- Hello, you know, back when large. minimum wage was four twenty-five an hour. Ooh, it's like yeah. your podcast salary, Roby. <laughs> it's exactly what it is, Scott. Yes, subtract four dollars. It's twenty-five cents. You get an a hour. quarter. Yes, I, I I more than jo- you do. I'm your agent. Yeah, you do. But anyway, so b- the butlery in the butler's pantry, six thousand hours. It was a six thousand hour on the job apprenticeship. Was a the, the American Culinary Federation portion of the degree. So you, you get certified through the ACF. And then this classroom work was your, your um, Reynolds degree. To break down the math, 2080 is the amount of hours in a year for a work week if you're working 40 hours a week. Wow, you're like yeah. Rain Man over here. I like I, that. I am. Yeah, I am. You're just pulling out <laughs> Either that or I work in employment. We'll pick one. Um, <laughs> so that is a little under three years of 40 hours. And I'm sure you did not work 40 hours a week. I'm sure it was far more. It was far more, yes. That's okay. So three years of of an apprenticeship, which I know every everybody listening right now that's in the restaurant business would like everybody to have to do that. A hundred percent. And oh, I tell gosh. Reynolds all the time, it couldn't be any better for both the employee and the employer. Sure. I came out of that program ready to run a restaurant as opposed to coming out of a school program, thinking I know everything, but knowing very little of how to put that to practice on the job. Right. Work ethic, because you had to do it because it was graded. So we went three years, then what? Straight into I'm going to own a restaurant? So not exactly, no. Um, <laughs> Come on, you didn't know everything then? <laughs> I didn't know anything even when we did open the first restaurant. It was purely by luck and figuring it out as we went along, to be quite honest with you. I think that's how it goes. Isn't it, though? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, so from there, I kind of um, I wanted to put my art degree to use a little bit and I started doing ice carvings and wedding cakes on the side because sculpture was my major um we this is a skill I (laughs) I didn't know that she had ice carving yeah swans or oh yeah ice luges oh yeah vodka all of it all of it what was your favorite to make um you know Or, or one that sticks out in your mind I, I don't know that any one really does in terms of ice carvings but I do have a wedding cake story that's that's Sticks out in my mind in an unfortunate sort of a way. Ooh, do share. Uh, it was one of my very good friend's wedding, and my gift to them was their wedding cake. And I had slaved over it, and it was beautiful and gorgeous. And I carried it to the Dominion Club and set it up on the table and finished putting the last little bit of fresh flowers on it and stepped away and felt like it was just ever so slightly askew on the table and went to spin it, and my hand slipped, and I slapped my hand across the wedding cake. <laughs> They had Michelle's hand in their cake. It's like a handprint. It's like, you know, she's famous. She put her handprint in there like you do for cement. You know, it's a good story now for them. It probably wasn't the greatest day then. But they now were so gracious and they cared none. That's they good. cared none. They were like, please stop crying. The only thing that's bad about our wedding right now is that you're crying. What happens, in the, what happens in the moment after your hand goes through a wedding cake? The o- 
Oh, your, your moment. You can say it. A big <laughs> shit moment. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, right. Um, well, fortunately, I did have some extra icing and some extra flowers, and it just ended up looking like a, a bit of an overdone mess, but... But you didn't see a physical handprint, at least. I have never really scrutinized a wedding cake of the wedding that I have attended. I have eaten a lot of wedding cake, but I don't get real close to it. So I think probably the only people that worry are the bride and the groom and the person that makes it. I would would agree with you. And maybe not even the bride and the groom. Maybe just the bride. Maybe just the bride. Yeah, the groom's <laughs> like, is cases. it chocolate? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, in most right? cases. Oh, for sure. I mean, for sure. I, I mean, I always think, oh, they're pretty, but I've never really gotten that close. The bar is more important. The, o- the open bar, yeah. Yes, for everyone. And, or the dancing, or the band, or the reason why you were there, which is the yeah, marriage, That's right? less important. Oh. So you're making cakes, you're doing ice illusions, yes. you're doing ice sculptures. At what point does it pop into your brain that I want to own a restaurant, and now is the right time to do it? You want to jump all the way there? Oh. We're not there oh, yet. Oh, geez, okay. <laughs> you got you got more hill to climb. Let's go. Up, let's guys. keep on climbing. We got some, we've got some hill to go right, still. Let's go. I mean, because no story is good without some some honest tragedy, right? Um, while at the butlery, I met um, what became my fiance. His name was Robbie Robert. He uh, and I met a gentleman named Bob Talcott. And Bob Talcott now um, has since been working for CanCan. But Bob wanted to open a restaurant called the Island Grill. And so Robbie and I joined on with Bob to open his restaurant. Robbie was also a chef. Um, And so we thought, well, we'll do this. We'll run this for him. We kind of let him know we'll be there for a couple of years. But that our intention was to open our own. And uh, about a year and a half into that scenario, Robbie was killed in a car accident. So, still hard now. Sure. But it's, it's part of my story. So Absolutely. It got me here. Not to be insensitive, but that's a hard thing to come back from. Very. So did you take time off? I did. Um, I took time off. I, uh, it, it took a long, long time to put myself back together. I thought I was going to move. I thought I was going to leave Richmond. Um, I considered it. <clears throat> But ultimately, my business partner kind of rescued me. And that's Jared? Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of, he's a... But you've never had one of these before, have you? <laughs> no, but I th- I'll tell you, I, I mean, that's a hard, hard thing. You think that you're on a trajectory, and it gets completely derailed by something incredibly tragic. Yeah. I don't know as I would be able to come back like you have from something like that, because it's... It's, I mean, I'd be in deep sheet snuggles <laughs> still. I mean, like I was a I was a hot mess for a long time. There's no question about that. I definitely ended up burying myself in my work. Sure. So, I guess you know something good came from it. Sure. And then from that, other good things came. Still, we t- um, we'll take a moment for a little bit just to think about how that really can affect somebody's life. Bob moved on to CanCan afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually did go back to work at Island Grill. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) In comes Scott with the tissues. (laughs) I'm a sympathy crier. I want you to know that I'm forcing myself not (laughs) to weep right now. I've already cried twice this morning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to ask questions, Scott. I'm over here trying not to... um, we're good. We're, we're past the worst we, of it. We are. I'm gonna get it back together. Have That's we spoken right. about Jared? Have, have we spoken about Jared and what exactly he? Um, he just convinced me. I mean, Jared is the master of the walk around the block. 
when things are wrong, you take a walk. And we walked around the block a lot. <laughs> D- deep groove in that and block? He, he worked across the street at Awful Arthur's. Oh, wow. At the time. And we went to J. Sergeant Reynolds together. And he knew Robbie. And so, you know, kind of part of the plan, the long, long-term long plan was always for us to kind of open a restaurant together. And he was the front of the house and we were the back of the house. Sure. And so... Um, lots and lots of walks around the block and lots of tears and lots of time. And uh, we finally kind of felt like, okay, we can make a go of this. And we ended up bringing in one of his best friends, Ted Wallaf, and the three of us ended up opening the hard shell in 1995. In downtown. Downtown, next door to the Frog and the Redneck. That was your first restaurant. First restaurant. Seafood in 1995 in Richmond. How did that go over? It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, because before that, it was, what, Red Lobster and Byram's, maybe? Y- yes. And did they even have lobsters at Byram's, or was, was it just the neon the, sign? The neon sign. <laughs> um, I uh, think Our next-door neighbor, Rip Byram's. I mean, that was right next to Channel 6. Yes, was, it was. And I just don't know if they actually had lobster. I think <laughs> McQuaid has that sign. I think Greg McQuaid took that lobster I think sign. that they might have had lobster at least once or twice a year at the holidays, because <laughs> my family went there for... For the holidays. They had good rolls. That's everything I remember about Byram's Lobster. Now, I do. You guys had lobster at the Hard Shell because I was in high school when you opened. Sure. And we would go to the Hard Shell for our homecoming and prom. Sure. And we still have lobster, of course. And you did all-you-could-eat crab legs on Sundays, I remember. Oh, absolutely. Which we also went to because we couldn't... I mean, we could have gone to the Frog and the Redneck, but it was so much easier to get to the hard shell, and it felt a little bit more accessible right. for us as younger eggs, and not, you know, so that's where we went. So 1995, we talked about it a little bit. And, um, what is the Richmond dining scene like in 1995? It exists of chain restaurants and diners. Yeah. And the Frog and the Redneck, pretty much. La Petite France. And La Petite France, of course. Um, but yeah, but I mean, like, that was... Very, out- very few. Yes. It's, you know, super fine dining. Mm-hmm. Diners, chain restaurants. No, no real in-between. Right. So what made you decide Shaco Slip was the place to open up your first restaurant? Um, I think that you know it was a variety of things that included cheap rent really? <laughs> as the number one item. Ironically, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> cheap rent, and it was nearby where we had been working, so we were at least familiar with the neighborhood. Um, and a, a good landlord um, that was willing to take a chance on us and believe in us that said, no, these kids are crazy and I might be making a mistake, but I'm going to give them a chance anyway. But it wasn't a mistake. It actually was uh, a great, I mean, I'm sure you had I mean, some struggles. I was going to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not so sure, open. but yeah, it's still open. Absolutely. Which is like amazing. Yeah. I mean, in your and wildest dreams, more, were you she thinking? has another one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and our sales are as much or more now as they've ever been. I mean, so it's not, you know, it's not showing a decline. So what's the secret? I mean, what's the secret to that kind of success? I actually really would like to ask this question. How many restaurants do you own, Michelle? We have eight. Okay, I feel like that you guys have some secret that you're not sharing (laughs) with anyone. There's, I mean, truly, I look at them and you guys open a restaurant. I mean, it's obviously very thoughtful. There's, you're not just throwing them up. There's clear, but is there a formula that you walk through right before you open a restaurant and say, I'd like to hit this seven things because they have been, or they will be, or have proven to be successful? I think that we approach each concept slightly differently but with the same philosophy um 
So we are looking to make sure that we are considering our customers first and what the customers want versus necessarily what our passion or our dream might be. And it took us a long time to learn that. You know, that's where some of the mistakes came in. It was cooking for yourself as opposed to for your for your clients. Sure. Um, and so, so in every way that we approach every concept, it is with that in mind. So that's number one. And then number two is, if you're going to be out of your own home, you want to feel departed from from your your real life. And so we we like it when you feel like you're somewhere other than necessarily in Richmond. We like to offer a look, a feel, a vibe that gives you something different than every other space you walk into. I have a pop quiz for you. Sure. Name all the restaurants you've opened in the order in which they opened. <laughs> Ready? Go. Okay. Uh, the Hard Shell, Europa, The Hill Cafe. Um, ah, Lucky Buddha, Cha Cha's, um, Deluxe. No, wait, back up. Um, water Grill, Deluxe. We had to change Water Grill to Water Coastal Kitchen. The Hard Shell at Belgrade. The Daily. East Coast Provisions. The Daily at Green Gate. West Coast Provisions. Oh, I forgot Pearl in there. Uh, <laughs> ah, you <laughs> failed. You failed. <laughs> And I forgot Michelle's at Hanover Town. There's been a lot. This okay, there's over. been a lot. But over. But okay, so that's. Da- I mean, sitting here, it's daunting to think about the amount of restaurants that that's keeping a handle of. How many employees do you employ? We there's a better sentence for that, but we'll go with that. We one. we uh, are approaching 500. There's an, so. I actually was looking at the largest employers in Richmond yesterday based on the Chamber of Commerce, like the greater Richmond metropolitan area. And so, and in the top 50, some of them have 600 employees. You guys are... We're probably in... We're somewhere in, in the, the top 100. In the four, sure. 400-ish range. And it, it you know ebbs and flows. We were up at like 480 at one point. We might be down at like 420 right now, something like that. That's incredible. And it's you and Jared... And Ted. And Ted. And and my father and Jared's father are the investors. Okay. And then you have some other individuals that assist with that as well? Sure. So Leandra Dunlevy is our director of operations, and she's been with us for more years than I can count. <laughs> Trevor Knotts is our corporate chef. So the, Leandra and Trevor kind of became the de facto Jared and I, or our kind of right arms, if you will. Uh, and then, of course, my husband and... And we have just a bunch of great managers that have been with us for a very long time. Um, I mean, you know, decade or more for a lot of them. Super, super longevity within the ranks over there. Absolutely. How, how difficult is it to keep um, these restaurants staffed? Uh, you said you have a, like, a longevity factor with some of the managers, but in terms of the daily, the daily, the daily staff and making the servers Pun and the intended, kitchen staff. Right. Exactly. That's that's that is. Harder than ever. I mean, quite honestly, it's the it's the number one thing that we deal with. The number one issue that we deal with is staff turnover, training, um, and the amount of money that you spend training staff to then turn them over is super frustrating. Especially in the market right now, yeah. I, it's hard. It's I think this is as tough as I've seen it from a staffing perspective. It, and just as a full disclosure, my, I'm in staffing for the last 17 years. That's my full time job, and we are just 
unable to hold on to employees across the board. Yeah. I can only imagine with the workforce that you have, it is just magnified. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't mean to sound like the person that's downing the next generation, but the amount of work that that I did coming up and, and people directly behind me did and were willing to do to make it, that that mentality is very different now, I think. And it's free time is more important and they're less driven by, you know, maybe financial uh, requirements than, than what they used to be. And and that's fine. That's great for them. But it's it definitely makes it harder for us to do our job. I mean, we pay more now for less quality. And we never have a time where we're not looking for, for staff. And we do well, you know. And we, sure. and we tend to pay towards the top of, of our industry, at least, you know, the top half, if not towards the top. And, and we try to treat them well and, and respect, you know, boundaries and two days off in a row and benefits and all of those things that, you know, you just never, certainly I never got offered to me sure. when I was coming up in the, in the business. 500 employees, it's, you guys are working with attrition in the, I would say probably in the 20% every week. Sure. I mean, while I've been sitting here today, one of my chefs at one of the restaurants says, you know, I've just had to let my third cook go this week. I'm in you know, DEFCON now, as of right now. So what what is your reaction to that? How do you help that situation as the, the owner? So fortunately, we've kind of amassed a little crew of people that, are, again, are, are people. Mm -hmm. And so we've got Trevor, and we've got a gentleman that's worked for us in the kitchen for a long time, Tommy, and we've got my husband. And so we've got this front-of-the-house, back-of-the-house crew that are more mobile, and they can go and fill holes as necessary, um, which helps a lot. Um and that, like, I think that's the number one thing that we did for ourselves as we grew to about six restaurants. We're like, we've got to do something different because it was Jared and I that were filling those holes. Sure. And you can't run the company and, you know, f fix the problems like that on the front line at the same time, at least not long term. And, and you can't do it long term or when you're exhausted. Exactly. Because you don't do well when you're exhausted. And so you need someone who can patch those holes from a band-aid standpoint till you can get yourself back together when you were mentioning your restaurants it seemed like there was the the shaco slip cluster and then there was the the carry town not really a cluster but a couple in carry town and right. then you have a little short pump cluster now yeah. talking about philosophy and customer base and food served talk about some of the differences that you have to implement when you have kind of similar restaurants but in different places right well so we like neighborhoods we like to go into neighborhoods where we see um possibilities and so that kind of is what happened with Shaco Slip. We went down there. There wasn't much of anything there. We wanted to make that block a destination so that, you know, you could come one stop. You could have dinner at multiple places. You could have drinks afterwards at multiple places. So we like kind of creating our own little element. And I think, you know, before the Scots Editions and, the you know, the bigger developing neighborhoods were about, that was kind of our own little microcosm of what we were doing is saying, hey, you know, you've got a lot of options here. Um, and when we went to Carytown, same thing. It was a lot of mom and pop businesses, not a lot of businesses open late at night. And we feel like that competition is, is good. You know, we want to be surrounded by other businesses, if not our own, others as well, because it just brings more attention to the area as opposed to being, you know, everybody looking at competition as a negative thing. It, I think it makes you rise to the occasion. And then also from the logistics of running places, it's easier if you're not spread yourself out all over town, we're not big enough yet to really 
have the kind of, of infrastructure that would allow us to you know, leave Richmond or we're not there yet. Um, but when we're close together, our managers can help one another if we're not available and our, you know, our stores can share whatever they ne- might need to share back and forth. And so it just kind of really helps each other. So, I mean, Short Pump has been a thing for, obviously, a couple of decades now. There's the concept of that being like a destination for shoppers and diners. What was it about this particular development, this particular year, that was like, now we're going to actually go out there and do this? We've been looking in Short Pump for like 10 years. Um, 10 years. I mean, that's a long time. And the rents were just exorbitant. And we knew that th- there was no there was no dollar figure that we could put on our sales that would get us to where our, the rents were. We knew it wasn't sustainable for us. And that's why we passed on so many different opportunities. And, you know, when we when we started talking to Mark L. Eagle, we just really believed in what they were doing. They really wanted to make it not feel like short pump. They wanted it to feel like Carytown and the museum district and kind of having this living, uh, working, walking, enjoying kind of space that has everything there for you in your neighborhood. And so we just thought that it was the, the right opportunity. And and they worked with us and understood what, what our needs were financially. And we were able to make an agreement. I think that's something that we should emphasize here because I don't think this is something the general public knows. You always have someone say, there's so many chains in Short Pump. We'd really wish that some local restaurant would come out there. But it is a lot to do with the fact that the rents are too high for a chain to be able to manage it. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean you, no, for a, ch- a chain can manage it. Someone who is not a chain can't manage it. Well, we've seen, too, that chains can't necessarily manage uh, absolutely. it. Absolutely. A ton of them have, mm-hmm. have gone. And, you know, I, and that is simply because w- as, the dining, as the dining public changes, as what they want changes, and the, those folks shift from ch- chain restaurants to restaurants like ours, even just a little bit, th- that loss of customer base makes a big difference to them because they were probably scraping by on the rents that they were paying to begin with. Are you seeing rents rise all over Richmond? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, I mean, is that the response to the economy? Is that response? I mean, what do you think that is a response to? Because before you were able to find an area in Richmond where you could open a restaurant, I think that your rent wasn't crazy high and you could see if you could make ends meet. Now I don't think that's the case. I think that you could still do it, but you're going to be in emerging or underserved neighborhoods, not in Carytown, for sure. instance. I mean, you ask different people, and they're going to give you different answers. Some say it's the cost of building that's gone up. You know, some say it's the cost of the land. Some say it's both uh, supply and demand. Um, people buying buildings and and bringing up just bringing up rents in the neighborhood. It's a little bit of all of it, I think. But I mean, for us, there are places that we'd love to be that we've said no to, knowing that. $40 a square foot is just way too much money. That's crazy. $40 a square foot is a lot. I mean, the crazy. I'm, I can bet I can guess where that is. I'm just not going there, though. I won't either. <laughs> so you're from Richmond. You've been here your whole life, yes? I have. Okay, so have I. And Roby's been close, if not in Richmond, her whole life. Half. Half of my half life. Of her life. Yes, but, you know, I didn't live so far away. And we, we spoke a little bit before about the tobacco company and about Byram's. What are some of your other restaurant memories from the 80s and 90s um, growing up in the West? You grew up in the West End, I'm guessing? I, well, I grew up in Mechanicsville, Mechanicsville okay. and then made it to the West End okay, yeah, yeah. before I graduated high school. I only said that because I think I know you went to Freeman. I did. I'm not trying to, like, I finished make, there. I'm not trying to make he any... He stalked I'm you. not trying to make any... Uh, he knows you went here. to Freeman. Okay, do you guys remember Stanley Stegmeyer's? No. It was right here. 
It was literally right right here. What was it about Stanley's that sticks out in your mind? Um, I used to get later. to go there when I got on a roll on my report card. And it had uh, all of these theme rooms, you know? And, and so, you know, you could go to the train room or you could go to the superhero room or you could go to the Indian room. What's there now? I swear I've never, it, I don't have no remember, recollection. Uh, the Mixing Bowl Bakery was there. Okay. Right. And oh, then so J. Sergeant Reynolds' first culinary um, kitchen was there. Stanley Stegmeyer's. All right. That's that good was, memory. What else? That was, did what you else ever you go to the North Pole? I did. That wasn't like one that was... It was closer to us, so we could yeah. drive to it and eat baked potatoes and steaks off of styrofoam plates. Yes. For like $22, which was like expensive. <laughs> right. Yes. Of almost, actually, all of our big restaurant groups in Richmond, save one, who I love, have very strong women at the helm of them. How has that been in the 35 years that you have been in the restaurant business? Because... I mean, you've seen the changes. Obviously, you were part of it before. Now you're part of it after, quote, unquote. It isn't, it isn't after yet. But how has that worked? I mean, quite honestly, for me, I feel like I've always been respected. And um, I feel like you, you get what you give, really. And I haven't... I haven't felt like because I was a woman, I was looked at differently. If anything, I feel like because I was a woman and I wasn't afraid to take leadership and ownership and be strong, that that maybe got me more um, respect from my staff and maybe even potentially from my peers. I think that when you set your mind to something and then you, if you're decisive and and you stand behind your your opinions that it shouldn't matter, man, woman, black, white, right? Sure, absolutely. And there, and but you work pretty much solely with a group of men. Well, and Leandra, sure. We have a lot of females in our company that are most of our front of the house managers are female. Okay, but yes, the the kitchen is primarily men because, quite honestly, in this town, the kitchen is still primarily men. I see it changing some. Okay, I do. Um, not, but I. Interestingly enough, I see it changing, and those women are going to lead things, not to be workers. See, I like the way that sounds. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's how it should go. To lead from the top. Right. Sure. Show, be an example from the top of the arena. So I think that if you're going to be a woman in this industry, you have to be strong. And if you're going to be a woman and be strong, you're going to end up at the top. Well, that's positive. Well said. Yep. I think I found my headline. There you go. Yeah. If you're going to be a woman and be strong, you need to be at the top. Absolutely. So if you're not eating in your own restaurants, before we wrap this up, where are you eating in Richmond right now? Um, I eat at well, Mama Zoo. Is that, does everybody say that? I hope so. Everybody, everybody says should that, say right? that, yeah. Right. Um, I mean, that's probably our fa- favorite place to go. But I love eating at um, Johnny and Katrina's places, and I love eating at uh, Chris Way's places. And both are reasonably close to our home, so that, you know, plays into it for sure. So two other restaurant groups that she named right there. And I just want to know, you guys all get together and party? Just you and Johnny and Katrina and Sway and Staples and hang? Well, not typically all of us at one time, but we are all very friendly. And yes, we get together and have a good time. Is it the best party ever? (laughs) Um, There's lots of good food. That's for sure. (laughs) But we're a little old for a party. Michelle Williams is with us today. You're listening to Eat It Virginia with Roby and Scott. 
Dear Scott, I'm hoping that you had a lovely Thanksgiving. I think that you told me you do yours on Friday instead of Thursday. You know, CBS 6 News Life. Maybe there was a lot of turkey. Maybe you just rested. Either way, please don't forget that we have a ticket giveaway. We have two tickets to the Virginia Spirits Roadshow, which is this weekend from 5 to 9 at the Science Museum. That's almost every liquor producer in the state of Virginia in one place from 5 to 9. So, lucky listener, if you'd like to win two tickets to the Roadshow, send us a message at eatitvirginia at gmail.com. That's all for now, Scott. Hoping you had a good holiday. Your podcast mate, Roby. This episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> no! Oh, God, no. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.